Hi. Hello. Welcome Hi, to Janet. the message. Hi, Carrie. <laughs> ah, we're out of practice. I forgot you opened the show. No, you can do it. <laughs> I did. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. It feels like it's been a pretty long time. Well, yeah, it's getting wild. I mean, I don't even want to talk about it because I feel like talking about it jinxes it and makes it even longer in between. Yeah, but, but there's no, I mean, aside from some trips and traveling stuff a little bit here and there, like there isn't any big to-dos happening in the next little while. I don't see a big reason why we shouldn't be able to be a little bit more predictable what do you think is a realistic, like, cadence or algorithm for us? Two to... a month. Two a month. Two a month. That feels good. Yeah. Right? That's what I think. Two a month. That feels great. Yeah. So we should just book it and just, like, make this a recurring every two weeks appointment. <laughs> That's how I have to do my life. It really is. I live and die by my calendar. Recurring event. Mm-hmm. Well, we moved to a new house. We did. Such a big undertaking. Even when you are, you want to do it, you're planning for it, you're like psychologically, emotionally preparing for it, you are moving to somewhere that you want to move to for all the right reasons, everything's fine, you have money, you hire people, even all that, all of that, it's still, it just kicks your ass. Still... A hell mouth. Yeah. It's the worst. And it set, it set me into like a two-week flare of my pain deal. So I've been feeling pretty shitty about... I mean, I'm not going to say it's from moving, but it's from action and activity. And so I love where we live. I love the kitchen. I love the yard. I love... But I felt like... I felt like the tin man who, like, really needs the squeaky grease. That's <laughs> yeah, what I feel like. I <laughs> yeah, I'm just now starting to... We've been here three weeks, I guess. I'm just now starting to enjoy being here. Like, I'm feeling relaxed. I'm feeling at home. I'm feeling like I know where my stuff is. I'm feeling like I know the neighborhood. It's been so fun. It just seems like we've had a lot of people come visit. Yeah, that's amazing and very uh, surprising, but I'm so stoked about it. People bringing over their dogs and... I drove to the city by myself and back by myself, so I feel like... And I didn't even use a map. I knew where to go. I knew how to go. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So that feels good when, like, I know how to get home. Well, I went up the street today to go get some taco time, and I went the wrong direction. I'm just going to say that I went the wrong direction on one street only, which is true. But then I, instead of turning around and just coming back after I knew that I was going the wrong direction, I just kept going because I wanted to... You just like, fuck it. (laughs) No. (laughs) I I wanted to drive by someone's house. Like, so I went to high school here. In a many decades ago type of way. And so, like, often as I'm driving around, I see a house of someone that I used to know or my friend used to live somewhere that's now a housing development or a taco time or whatever. So I wanted to drive by my... um, One of my oldest and dearest friends lived out here for a long time, and I drove by her old house. Is it still there? It is, yeah. She doesn't live there anymore. She lives in Maple Valley. But um, it was kind of just fun to drive down that street. You know, and it's not like the memories that I'm having are kind of just they're barely even memories at this point. It was so long ago that I was in high school. It's just like the essence of a memory is not traumatic anymore. Like it's been enough time or I've done enough healing that I'm like, oh, that's where I went to high school. Oh, they refurbished the tennis courts. Maybe I'll go hit some balls or oh, that's so and so. That's the one thing that happens when you when you don't move. Which I only ever really did a f- two moves, right? I lived in San Francisco for a while, and then I lived in Kitsap County for a while. But all the other time, I lived in Seattle. And so all my high school, elementary school, drug use, sobriety, one, 
drug use too, sobriety too, like all of that <laughs> shit happened in the same city. So right. every time I drive down a city a city street, it's just like, oh, 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 that, yikes, ooh. No, that was nice, but that was bad. But I know who lived there and who lived, you know, it's just like ghosts on every corner of every street. Right. It seems like when you're when you live in the same place where everything has happened, like you're forced to either, you know, get over it or whatever the options are. But you you work through it, it seems like because you're you have no choice because you drive by that corner often or whatever. I hear you. I mean, I definitely, you know, lived in neighborhoods where I used as an adult for sure. But coming back here, you know, largely and I went to beauty school in Renton also and. I, the whole time I was in high school and beauty school, all I thought about was getting out of here, just getting away from Renton, which I did. And so it's weird to come back. It's like at first it almost felt like a betrayal to that young person, you know, like, God, you wanted to get out of here. But it's di- it's different. I'm different. Everything's different. I love it here. It's so peaceful. So nice. It just feels really nice to be out of the city, to tell you it the does. truth. To it just- really does. I feel like we just have some room to breathe. I mean, we had to buy a hose and a leaf blower. Like I know. Just feels like there's room. And to, to have a big fenced yard is so fun. To, to have a dog and have friends who have dogs that can just come over and let them run around in the yard seems like a yeah, fun. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I could never imagine taking him back to an apartment where he had to wait to go outside. Well, we'll see. I mean, we, I mean, yeah, we might have to someday. But not today. Not on this day. And, you know, I'm always happy in the summer. And it's just like a beautiful summer day. It's been pretty nice weather since we've lived here. So we'll see how it goes in the winter. But today, on this day, it's all is well. I'm feeling content and settled and relaxed. Everyone loves my new Zoom background, too. Everyone comments on my... We kind of have the same Zoom background. The barn doors. Yeah, we have barn doors now in our offices. There's barn doors all through this house for all the closets and some of the doors. So it's super trendy, really cute, like very bright. Mm -hmm. It's a really lovely house. I really like this house a lot. White curtains, white barn doors. Mm -hmm. It's real happy. Yeah, so what uh, What do we... Okay, I have an interesting... This, is, this was my topic idea. Mm-hmm. What is something... What is... What is... Yeah, an idea, I guess, that you've had for a really long time in your life that turned out to not be true. That you thought it was true, you lived as if it was true... And then at some point in your life, you found out that it was not true. Oh, gosh, there's so many, so many of those. But I will share a story of when I was five years old, four and five years old, we lived on, me and my mom and my brother lived on Queen Anne. And I had, uh, there was a little neighbor guy who I feel like his name was Joe, and I loved him. Like, he was like my five-year-old husband. I loved Joe. And I grew up believing that I had thrown a rock. Oh, I think you told us this story before. I think you told us, yeah, that you hit, you thought you hit Joe in the head with a rock, but it wasn't you. It wasn't me at all. And I mean, no one told me as a kid that it was me. No one blamed me. I didn't get in trouble. He didn't accuse me. He just occupied the story. My mind turned that into... That, that just like bizarre twist of just this crazy perversion of this story. And I feel like that is such a profound example of being really wrong about something and dragging that through your whole entire life and having that. Well, and what would that have meant about you? Like that you're an abusive person or that you hurt people you love? I can't be trusted. Yeah. 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 That's sad. Yeah, it really is. And I just kind of found that out recently that that wasn't true. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, like, my brother said something to me. Like, what are you talking about? That wasn't you. But have you, aside from personal stories, is there any principles that you thought was true and acted on as if it were true and as an adult or as a person in recovery, you've found out that it was not true? 
Well, I mean, just on in an inherent way of just thinking that I was, I mean, I say, I talk about this all the time in, in meetings of like, I really thought that there were different categories of people and that I, the category I was in was bad people, like dishonest, uncaring, not compassionate, kind of uh, not, you know, trustworthy, don't have integrity. Like I thought all of those things about myself. And then, of course, when you are, you know, unhoused and using or whatever I was, then you prove all those things to be true because that's how you have to survive and that's how you have to live. And so I think it took me a long time. Like all the different components of that, you know, umbrella to debunk all that stuff, you know, to stop like telling myself that I can't be trusted or telling myself that I'm going to lie about something. Or Do you believe that to be untrue now? Do you feel like you know for sure that that is not the truth? Yeah, I do. Do you know when that started to f- come apart? So the principle that you believed was that the the principle was Carrie is a bad person. There's good people and bad people, and Carrie's a bad person. Yeah. And then now you know that that's not true because there's not good people and bad people or because you're not a bad person? Mm, maybe both. But I feel like just like, you know, the first time through the steps, it starts to kind of crack, you know, put some holes in that theory of just like, well, maybe you were just, you know, in survival mode and maybe you just, you know, whatever, whatever. I started to soften a little bit and tr- and have a little bit of understanding or compassion or, you know, let myself off the hook a little bit. But I think it takes I think it took a really a really long time. I think honestly, just recently, like probably in the last like three to five years, I've started to view myself differently, myself in quotes of not being the body mind and just being more of a soul inhabiting this form, which I believe comes from a place of perfect, you know, divine energy that inhabits all of us. So that probably really, that idea started to really be implanted or take the place of the other things recently, like in the last few years, probably. So 20 years, 20 years sober. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You you know how in the cartoons, when the cartoon characters like running off the cliff and, and they run for a while in the air because they don't know that they haven't figured out that the cliff isn't there anymore. (laughs) Like, do you feel like you had, you had trails of like, Oh, here I am classifying good and bad people. And I'm a bad part. Do you feel like, you had like was that a hab- was that a pattern of thinking was that hard to stop oh that's still i mean that thinking still happens well does the pattern of believing the thinking still happen or does it no. smell does it stink as soon as you think it yeah i can separate i can separate the thoughts now from the from reality but I might think it now more about other people than I do about myself, but it's still I still have those thoughts of like, oh, that person's just lying, or that person's garbage, or that person's oh god, bug- especially when we watch intervention, Ooh. that person's bugging me is what it always is. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that person's irritating me. So that's a, I mean, that's you know potentially saying that they're right, they're right or wrong, or they're good or bad, or the thing they're doing is bad. Yeah. Even if it's just breathing with their mouth open, which could be something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Clicking a pen. Oh, don't. Oh. <laughs> Give me that pen. Yeah. I think you and I are both equally activated by moms on intervention. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a violent person, and I threaten violence to the TV almost every episode. Well, I feel like I've hyped that up a little bit in you because I started <laughs> just, I just I'm, start. I'm going to slap her in the face. <laughs> God, if I was there, I would just punch her in the throat. <laughs> God, shut up, lady. Quit cooking him dinner. Like, stop it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just the same thing over and over very, and over and over. I'm in this book study and the and the guy who's facilitating the book study is an older man from Tampa, Florida and he's like long time sober but he says self-pity in a particular way and I always now I always think of it he says and I was feeling 
self pity. <laughs> so now <laughs> self pity. I'm like self pity, <laughs> which is like the exact voice that self pity uses. Yeah, that one's really tricky, and I feel like I've gotten a lot of help from my practitioner of the energy work that I've been doing the last couple of years, where I can hear it from her. She doesn't say self pity, but. I quantify what I'm doing as self-pity, but she describes, she always talks about the victim triangle or the drama triangle. And I didn't know what it was before I met her and she sent it to me. And of course I was just highly offended and activated. And now I'll tell a story and she'll say something like, remember that, that triangle. And I'll just be like, ah, self-pity. Like to me, victimization and self-pity are the same thing. But for some reason I can, digest self pity everyone hates me well. mm-hmm. what's prompting this line of questioning have you had something happen recently that you've had an awareness no i don't think it happened recently but it's something that i really 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 believe to be true for a long time in my life and then Within the last 10 years, I think it's chopped down this giant oak tree that I know is not, is absolutely not the truth anymore. And here's what I'll also preface this with saying to some people, this is going to sound like a position of privilege. But here's the fact. Here's the lie that I thought was true. There are cool people and I'm not a part of it. Or there's, there's a group of cool people, mm-hmm. and I'm excluded from it. So I went through my whole adolescent, young adult, thinking that there were people that were cool, <laughs> cool people. Yeah. Like when I was in high school, it was the, or like ninth grade, it was the stoner kids that smoked clothes outside in a circle and then I got into that group and I felt like oh I'm gonna feel like I'm cool now and then it was someone else it was like it's always a subset of whatever group that I'm in and I was never really part of it there would be sometimes where I'd be like kind of on the outskirts like I think I'm kind of cool because I'm hanging out with cool people right and it led me as like a young person to hang out with people that were kind of disproportionately older than me because I wanted to be with people that I thought were cool. That's what appeared to be cool to you. That's what appeared to be cool. Um, so well, it was though that they were. I mean, okay, but they weren't. That's. <laughs> I mean, that what I know now is they weren't. <laughs> the thing that is, was cool about them is that they could buy me beer. I mean, yeah, that's what was well, cool. that was convenient. They could drive. They could drive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. back then. Yeah, but I don't mean cool like to me. Oh. I mean cool to like. There is a attribute of coolness. And the problem with that definition is, in my mind, which later fell apart upon examination, is my definition of cool is the people, uh, is the group of people that I'm not in. Oh, interesting. So it was always somewhere else, right? It's always a little bit further. It's always a little bit further. It's not this group of people. It's the next group of people. And I, I would never really be happy in the group of people that I was in because there was always somewhere else that was going to be a little bit better Mm -hmm. and that was true 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 for me true 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 we hear about this in 12-step recovery I think I mean what comes to mind for me is people talking about it in 12-step recovery because yeah I mean that's where I'm going to bring it back to oh gotcha okay my bad and I think I do have some version of that, but it's the a different side of the coin, I guess, or maybe it's the same. But I do have a thing about getting my feelings hurt about not being invited to stuff, even though it might be something I don't want to do. It might be people that I don't want to do it with, and it might be a definite no if I were asked. But I still, in my mind, it occurs to me like, oh, my God, they didn't invite me. And here, But here's how wild that gets in my mind. One time, you know, the retreat in Indianola, I had a bunch of friends and you may have been in this group that we're all going to Indianola because everybody goes every year. And I was, it was a year that I couldn't go or wasn't going to go or something. 
And all my friends that I always go with had reached out to me and said, oh, Indy Nolan. I was like, oh, I can't go this year. I'm not going. I can't go, can't go, can't go. And then everyone's at Indianola, and I literally got my feelings hurt that everyone was there and I wasn't and that they were all together and they didn't invite me when they literally every single person had reached out to me asking me if I was going to go. So that experience was a valuable experience because I remembered specifically all of them asking me. And then I specifically remember being hurt that no one had invited me. So I was able to kind of debunk that weird thought pattern that I get, but it still does occur to me at certain times that I'm not invited to something. And I do like, I try to get butthurt about it, but I almost like can't really exactly even get myself to the point of being hurt anymore because it's just such a weird trap. It's like a weird trick. Does it feel like there was stuff you were not invited to when you were a kid that made that particularly painful? I can't specifically remember anything, but I honestly don't remember that much about my childhood. Like I literally was probably so disassociated my whole childhood that I barely remember anything, but I did move around a lot. I was the new kid all the time. Every time I made friends, I'd move like all of that shit, you know, early on. So I'm sure it's probably connected in some way, but I don't have a super clear memory of like being sad. I didn't get invited to Sally's birthday party or something, but I'm sure it probably happened. And, you know, and it never is true. And it happens even with like, oh, Janet and Dallas are going to Nordstrom Rap today. Like, whatever. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here. Like, they're not, they hate me. They they don't like me. I just, whatever. And then you'll be like, oh, do you want to go to the rack? And I'll be like, ah, oh, no, I'm just going to watch TV. It's just like this crazy, like, I don't really want to go to the rack. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. you know what right. I mean? It's just yeah. like this whole cycle of like convince myself that, like my best friend and that her daughter hate me. Like that's a thought that comes up. Like they didn't invite you. They don't like you. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah. There's something, there's just something about like, well, you know, I've talked about this ad nauseum, like that I have something happened to me when I was little, I think from moving around and being the new kid, like people don't like you. Yeah. And so there's still some vapor of it, like hovering around, but I don't buy into it the way that I used to, but it still exists. But this cool kid thing, I will say, I don't remember having those feelings. I probably like, you know, as a kid, when I was the new kid and didn't have any friends, I was so far away from like, I just wanted a friend. It wasn't like, oh, I want a cool friend. I just would like to have a friend and I would like to not move for a period of time so I could have a friendship. So I don't know if I ever got to, you know, if I could ever extrapolate to the point of like, oh, I want to be in that group of friends. But I, I mean, when I came to 12-step recovery, I had friends there already. So I didn't have to just walk in alone and never know anybody. I don't know what that feels like. So I can't say, but I have heard for the last 23 years of this happening this occurrence that happens to seems to happen to people where they feel excluded or they feel like they're not able to participate in a certain group of people that they want to I mean it's a theme that's I don't really know what the solution for that is for any particular person except to just stick around and make some friends I mean Mm -hmm. well I mean if it's a fundamental belief like it was in me it doesn't matter what friends you make because they're not going to be the ones, right? Right. It it has to be disassembled from the inside out. There's no way you can, like, orchestrate your life to make you feel like you're in the cool kid club. There's no, like, maneuvering of friend groups that you can feel like you're a part of if it's a, like, foundational belief that there are cool people and I'm not one of them. (laughs) Right, right, right. right? So it doesn't matter. So I think what what happened for me is I started sponsoring people and I heard inventory a lot. I heard a lot of people reading inventory and and almost universally cool people were on the inventories. And it was cool people that were cool people that are like this meeting or that meeting or this Mm -hmm. group of kids in high school or my neighbors or, you know, and just very much like I, I hate them because they're cliquish and they don't, (laughs) they don't welcome new people and 
they all call on each other in meetings and they don't like me and you know just a lot of narrative about who these people were and and I was hearing inventory from really cool people right like people that I would say well wait that you're describing yourself right you are the person that's called on a lot you're the person that is at that meeting you have a lot of friends I've seen you with them right like so it was just like these people talking about this group of people that they were not a part of that from my perspective, they, that wasn't true. And I heard it so many times, like almost universally, everybody's inventory had this idea of like, there is a click and I'm not in it. And I hate them because I'm not in it. <laughs> right. And yeah. fuck them and they're assholes and they exclude me. And I came up with this kind of eureka that was like, wait a minute, if the cool kids are on everybody's inventory, who are they actually? Right. Everyone is writing about this group of people over there. Mm -hmm. And it's like a lot of the people from there are writing about the people <laughs> that are there. So, yeah. so now I, I was like, Eureka, I don't think cool people exist. Right. I don't think there is a, group of cool people i mean it sounds very ridiculous when you say it out loud of like there's not a group of people who i mean right like they're not they're like wearing the same jacket and have the same logo <laughs> yeah. on the jacket or something like that's it's not West Side a real story. thing yeah yeah it's, that doesn't happen right what what i was witnessing is friends and fellowship that my belief about myself kept me out of Right. These were like friendships and people that enjoyed each other's company. And and I didn't feel good about myself and I didn't feel like I had anything to participate with. And I didn't have I was so invested in, I mean, honestly, like social climbing and not like invested in developing social skills. Right. Like have a conversation, know some like ask questions be interested, have a hobby, share that hobby with other people. Right. Like go create, to this go to the thing that you get invited thing. to. Yeah. Go to the thing and bring your favorite dish and talk to people about what that is instead of go there and try to figure out which one is the powerful person and say disingenuous things to them so that you can be part of the crowd. Right. Right? Like which is kind of how I mean it's cringy to say, but that is kind of how I operated a lot. So, well, that thought or that attempted thought or that attempted belief system of that I'm not one of the cool people, I'm not in the clique, they don't like me, whatever. I mean, all that is, is just, it's a massive ego flare up. And when we think about like, okay, what's the ego doing? It's trying to, on a good day, let's say that our ego is trying to protect us from being hurt. It's trying to keep us alive. Our ego is meant to whatever, but in this capacity, it's keeping us separate, keeping us isolated, keeping us like giving us a good reason to not go to the thing and to not participate in the group because I already have this reason when I get there that you already don't like me. So now I don't have to stay here. And then, by the way, I also don't have to stop using or drinking or this is why I still have to because everyone hates me and I'm not part of I'm never going to be cool and I'm just going to leave. But why would he, I mean, why is, who knows? Nobody knows the answer to this question. But why does ego tend to write this, the meanest story? Not only about myself, but about other people. Right. And people, some people talk about ego in a way where it's helpful. And I guess the only way that I can find that the ego is helpful is like survival mode. Like in whatever way it helps us survive, but in any other way, it you, my ego is not my amigo. It's never say, saying anything nice about me or anyone else, and it only exists to create fear and separation and isolation. But I I would say that ego does sometimes say they're not nice, but it does like because ego can also be like I'm better than you, right? That's also a version of ego. Like, we are separate. You are down there, and I'm up here, and I'm right. better than you. I'm yeah. better. 
friend, a better artist, a better whatever. So it's it's not even like necessarily mean. It's just not true. It's just a, a story of differentiation. Right. Yeah. My ego wants to tell me what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. And it wants me to believe that I somehow am the arbiter of other people's behavior or whatever. It's all based on getting what I think I deserve or what I think I need or what I want or whatever based on, you know, all the bullshit, all the just societal conditioning of what I think I need to be or have for people to like me or to love me or whatever. It's just like such, it is so weird. It's like why, when I first started talking in this language, you know, about these types of things, it just occurred to me, like, why would my own, why would this one part of me want to hurt me so badly all the time or to cause me harm or to like kind of kill me? Like, it seems like it really wants me to die. Yeah, why? Right, right. I don't know. I don't get that part. I don't understand why through different happenings or conditioning or traumatic experiences, our ego, you know, that blob of whatever gets so disproportionate and just so f- hungry. It's just like starving for and it's terrible never enough. stuff. It's never, right. it's not enough. Like the cool people were not cool enough. It's always somewhere else. It's always something else. Well, I've been in the situation where people think I am one of the cool people or I am in the club of cool people. And they've just like automatically disliked me. It's like probably me. It was probably me. Shut up. No, it wasn't you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, in in like in the 12 step community or whatever, like. Yeah, yeah. They didn't get invited to a thing at someone's house or whatever, you know, just all that kind of stuff, which I understand because I have that quirk about not being invited or whatever. And it's always like, to me, the the place or the people that they're butthurt about not getting invited to, like I, I might have gone to that thing and it was totally boring and not cool or exciting or interesting in any way. And just like, wow, this is what you're fucking going off the deep end about like that was this isn't there's nothing happening here like it's all an illusion anyway it's not even like oh my god you know I went to Brad Pitt's Malibu beach party or whatever it wasn't it's not it's never that like it's the thing that the person thinks they're missing out on I feel like if I attended the thing was never as exciting or or life altering as the person who didn't get invited thinks it is or thinks it was and Yeah. It's always been it's always been like that. I guess I'm just trying to think like back through my life, the parts I can remember of being put in that place of someone treating you like, oh, this happened to me. You know, in my 20s, I had a boyfriend in a band. And then when I got sober in my 30s, I met someone who was also sober. And he said that back, you know, when I was in my 20s and with in that relationship and he would see me out at clubs or shows or whatever, you know, that me and my boyfriend, you know, at the time thought that we were so fucking cool and that we blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I honestly have no idea who you are. Like, I don't know you. But he had made up a story about me from when I was 21 and I was at a club full of loud music and, I, and a person I do not know. Like, he made up a story about me, like, not saying hi to him. Yeah, right. And 10 years, 15 years later was mean to me and hated me because of it. And I'm just like, I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. So I've seen, I've been on the other side of someone of being accused of like, of that stuff. And it's interesting to see it from that perspective too, because then you really get to see like, wow, this is just completely something that's totally made up. Something that this person has completely created in their own mind. Right. It, but when you're on the other side of it, it really does feel real. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like, um, remember going to your first hundred AA meetings and, you know, there is a group of people that know each other and is all friendly and having a good time. And then there's all the other people that are there without their friends. Yeah. Right. And to see the group of friends fellowshipping and breaking bread together and drinking coffee and, you know, laughing, being laughing. Happy. Yeah. You write a story about who they are and how, you know, unwelcoming they are and how they fuck those people because 
no one said hi to you. And, you know, that's it's the same story that that guy created about you and Fun Bunny. Right. Like <laughs> it's the same I story about Fun Bunny. <laughs> yeah. How could you how could you forget about it? I just forgot that that's what we we're calling him. But I have seen this happen in the 12 step community a lot. It's a real bad. It's a I mean, the whole point of me talking about it is I hope to give a little present to anybody who still feels that way that it's not real yeah that what you're battling is not true and that's why i say if this may sound like a position of privilege because it's possible that you could think that i was in a cool club and that i can say that because i'm in the club and so of course i don't see it because i'm in it and when you're not in it, it but i'm telling you i have been outside of it almost my entire life I mean, essentially my entire life, because now that I know it's not real, like there is no place to go. There's no place to arrive. It's what you are witnessing when you walk into meetings and see a bunch of people talking and being friends is people that have gone through a lot of stuff together and people who have been, you know, going to that home group for years and making coffee for years and, you know, being in very terrible business meetings for years and watching (laughs) home group members die like like they've gone through stuff together sure and what you're seeing is like history and them knowing each other and sharing you know stories and lives with each other and the reason why you don't feel part of that yet is because you're new to it you're new we you know people might not know your name they don't, don't know your story and and the, it's the hardest thing in the world to do, but you got to get in. You got to get in and you got to go. I mean, to me, it's the it was the hardest thing to start doing. But I but going to fellowship after the meeting, going to eat pizza with strangers, going to hang out, going to the party where you don't feel like you know anybody, going to the weird barbecue, going to the inner group, doing all the things. That is how you get in and you have to get in. Yeah. And I think also that's the importance of having a home group too. And like, that's where, that's where it starts. Like you're at that meeting every week and you might, and you go to the business meeting and you get to know people and you go to the thing afterwards. And you like, that's the, I mean, you've talked about this before of like people saying like, okay, now you're going to be a greeter. And you're thinking, well, how's that going to help keep me sober? Like, well, how, what difference is that going to make? And exactly what you're talking about right now is the difference that that makes. You start to be known and you start to get to know people and you start to feel like you belong somewhere and you start building a community and then it just branches out after that but I I have the opposite experience now like I love being in a different city like I'm in LA sometimes and I like to sometimes I'll go to a meeting by myself and I don't know anybody there and they treat me like I'm a new person and it's like the most fun thing in the world to me to not know anyone and have them everyone come up and say welcome and like introduce themselves to me and I'm like this is so fun I love it yeah yeah right yeah, it's an, it's nice. I mean, I went to a meeting uh, a couple of days ago where it's funny. It was at this a different night at the same time, two blocks away from my home group. And I knew nobody. I really essentially knew nobody there. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a nice feeling of like, wow, the world is big. Yeah. The world is big. And, you know, it, it does. It's a good reminder of like, go somewhere that's uncomfortable. Because that's what it feels like when you're new. That's what it feels like. Yeah, for sure. And the, but like I said at the beginning of this, I feel lucky that when I, like all the times I've gotten sober, I always had friends that were sober. So I'd always see people I knew in meetings. And like, you know, the first meeting I walked in, I saw you. And then, you know, I've had, I have friends who have been in sober long, 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 long time. I mean, all of my friends basically are sober. All of them, basically. But I mean, even back in 1998, you know, I had friends that were, would come pick me up and take me to meetings or I'd see them at meetings or we'd make a plan to meet at a meeting. So I never really felt like I had to navigate all of 12-step stuff alone. I just have never felt alone in the 12-step community. So I can't really speak on what it feels like specifically in that capacity of people that are saying that stuff in our community. But... I have had the experience of 
the things I was talking about earlier about being the new kid in school four times a year or whatever and not having any, not really having any friends and feeling like, and then translating that into everyone hates me. So, I mean, that's been. It makes me feel like there should be a service position that's like newcomer coordinator instead of just sponsorship coordinator, because the, the greatest thing is when, you meet someone and then you're like, oh, I have not very much time and you have not very much time. And now we are best friends and we go to meetings together. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, you you have a car. I have a cool apartment. Like, let's now we're best friends and now we do everything together. It's like it's so much easier to go to meetings when you have a homie to do it with. It's true. So that would be kind of a fun thing to do of just like match people up of like, oh, you guys both live here. You could drive together or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, I think in essence, like, that's the effort that you're making or that we're making in going out to eat afterwards every time and really trying to invite all everyone there and especially, like, you know, people that are new or new to recovery or haven't been to our meeting before and really trying to get to build that sense of... It's really super critical. I mean, and... and I never want to be the reason why someone doesn't feel comfortable in AA, right? I never want to be like, oh. Well, that's not up to you. That's not up to you. Exactly, right. It's not. But, what you know, I think bringing it to the topic of conversation, bringing it out of the closet and onto the table and saying, cool kids don't exist. If that's a belief that you have, I invite you to the idea that it says more about you than it does about them. Yeah, investigate it. I mean, yeah, shine a light on it. Like, drag it through the steps and see if it still exists, you know, by the time you get to 10 or 11 or whatever. Yeah, for sure. uh, You know, it's said about our home group in particular, and it's said about often, like, meetings that have a core group of people that have attended for a long time is that that's a that's a clickish meeting <laughs> right <laughs> right and what should we do about it people think that we're a click what should we do about it and then the the answer is nothing right yeah the answer is invite them to ihop right the answer is to get them hooked up with a sponsor that can help them through an inventory where they can start to disassemble these ideas that they are not included because it is not true no it's not. It's not true. It's so interesting. I'm just tr- like, I'm trying to watch the, you know, I know people who that idea has literally killed them. I mean, I think we both do. I think we yes. both know a handful of people that we can say probably operated under that idea and it, and they're dead. It killed them. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it, that's why it just feels like, it's such, it, I mean, understanding and disassembling that belief really changed my life. It really changed not only like how I can have friendships and how I can feel comfortable in a room full of people today, but also like changed how I look at who I was in high school. Mm. I mean, I, I can remember distinct thoughts of like, if I am friends with her, her boyfriend is this guy and his friend is that guy. And I will be closer to, it's like I'm climbing some freaking pyramid or something. <laughs> like that is a gross thing to see and to admit to. And I'm doing it and I wish I wasn't doing it, but I'm doing it in service of hopefully that is, it's enough to make someone else investigate that kind of thinking because you are not, you know, I can't speak for every AA meeting and I can't speak for every group of people, but at least at our home group, you are not excluded. No. We will drag up as many chairs as Hector will let us drag up to the table at IHOP. And we've had 25, 35 deep in there. Yeah. Well, I think that people, you know, I have a friend, we have a friend. Miha, I'll name him. I'll say his name. And he always tells me that, well, I want to say this in a nice way. He means it in a nice way, but it's like that I'm, I don't want to say, I don't know if he's ever said specifically that I'm like intimidating. Oh, or I've that heard I'm it my whole life. Something, I've you heard know, it my whole life. Something like that, right. So we get a lot of that. And then 
when you think about putting me and you together, it's, you know, some sort of happening. It's a phenomenon of some sort, apparently, whatever. But it doesn't occur to us because we're in it. We're just normal people. It's just like nerdy. olive we're oil just, and balsamic vinegar. We're just being nerdy and talking about our dog and just being like old women trying to have entertain ourselves. And there's people sitting around thinking like, oh, my God, Janet knows everything about AA and she's so cool and look at her tattoos and her black hair is so shiny and I'll never be that cool and oh look at Carrie she's so whatever and then you know we're sitting together in the same room and I often get comments from people about like our friendship like oh I wish I had a friend like your friendship with Janet you guys just lifelong best friends and you live together and you're you know you know each other's kids and now you have a podcast and all that shit and it's just like well then do it I mean I don't know it's like just by the mere existence of being, of existing, makes un- people un- uncomfortable. Like, what? there's nothing that I can do about that. There's nothing you can do about that. It's just, like, people are upset that you don't say hi to them. Janet never says hi to me or whatever. Yeah. But, like, do you... Do you ever say hi to Janet? Like, have you ever, I mean, it's my responsibility to make every single person in the world feel like I want to talk to them. Right. A, I don't want to talk to them. And B, I'm an old woman. Who gives a shit what I think or what I'm doing? Or I'm just sitting here. My stomach's growling. I'm just, most of the time, just trying not to fart in the meeting, <laughs> honestly. That's more true than anyone knows. I mean, who gives a rat's ass what you or I are doing or thinking or what we're fucking wearing or talking about or whatever? I mean, well, because what I think now, thinking of it from that outside perspective, is what I think coolness looks like is comfortability. Like, you and I are extremely comfortable with each other because we know each other very well. And so to see that kind of friendship and you're on the outside of it. Yeah. It's like, you know, that scarcity mindset of like, if you win the lottery, I'm not actually happy for you because it means I didn't win the lottery. Yeah. Because there's only so much. And if you got it, that means there's less for me. And I think people sometimes see friendships and they say, oh, I don't have that. Yeah. Well, and it's sad for me, you know, we just went through a thing at my work where, well, at our work, <laughs> we work at the same place. <laughs> and I've been through this a lot since I've been in the peer peer support community and in the position to be a peer support specialist in my job, where, you know, there's a lot of 12-step negative perception and a lot of negative comments and a lot of negative experiences have happened to people in 12-step recovery. I'm not trying to diminish or disqualify anyone's negative experiences in 12-step recovery. And I don't want to be in the place where I have to defend 12-step recovery, but I feel like I'm always in that position where I feel like I at least want it to be a level playing field. But anytime anything negative is ever said about any recovery pathway, it's always 12-step recovery. We know why, because it's the biggest, it's been around the longest, there's the most people that have been in and out of it. And it was founded by white dudes in a time where that was, looking back on it, was pretty racist, pretty privileged, pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Bad look. Yeah. And I'm definitely not about any of that shit. And I think that there are all kinds of vibes, all kind of different communities, all kind of different predators, all kind of different fucking rescuers and victims and Al-Anons and all kind of different people. I mean, it's a group of human beings that have all come together because they're suffering very acutely. So some shit's going to go down. Yeah. For sure. Right. And that's the thing. That's the thing that bugs me about being put in a place to defend where I feel like I have to defend it to, for it to get a fair shake or to be t- treated equally because I know so many shitty things happen and I don't want to defend those shitty things and I don't want to defend the people that are doing shitty things. But I also believe that 12-step recovery has saved a lot of fucking lives, mine being one of them. And it's like, you know, when I when I brought it up in our work capacity about the a comment that was made about someone's negative experience in 12-step recovery. 
it was like, well, the the person could have mentioned any pathway. It could have been Dharma recovery. It could have been Celebrate recovery. And I said, but it never is those. It's always 12-step recovery. And I'm not trying to say that this person didn't have a bad experience. I'm not trying to disqualify their experience. I'm not trying to say whatever they're talking about doesn't happen. But it's like I have to be the steward of the bias like just asking people to check their bias about it and not project it onto anyone else, basically. And I mean, I've been asked to do that in myself, in my life about, you know, racism or whatever it is. Like I I have been challenged to investigate that thing in myself. And I feel like I have been willing to do that. And I don't know. I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent about 12-step recovery, but just in relation to people thinking there's a cool kid club. Yeah, I mean, I think it's endemic, right? Someone it's like saying, it's endemic. yeah, and this in a comment from someone th- that we saw in my work capacity, someone saying that they felt rejected by a 12-step community, and it's. I just, I just am asking, you know, bringing up as a possibility: is it possible? that you felt excluded that that was a hitchhiker that came into the room with you and it wasn't what the people were doing there that made you feel excluded or left out is it possible i mean sometimes it's sometimes people can be assholes for sure there are plenty of them in every room and every group there are gonna be some people that are assholes and they're gonna say the wrong thing and they're gonna say a bad thing and they're gonna make you you know, they're going to hurt your feelings intentionally or maybe unintentionally. A, they don't speak for everybody. Right. And B, there are also times where you have a rider along with you that, you know, you have a belief system that is below your conscious awareness that set you up to feel excluded. And when you saw that Carrie and Janet were talking and having a great time and didn't say hi to you, that you use that as an example of how you were excluded. Right. Plant your flag in that story. Right. And that is alcoholism. That is sick. That is untreated alcoholism. And honestly, like it doesn't go away unless you do some work around it. It doesn't change. And then what you think, this is my favorite. Then you think that we changed. Right? Yeah. Then you do the work, and they're like, oh, yeah. no, they're actually yeah. really nice these days. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm like, bitch, I haven't changed at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, too. I mean, I think you and I both have had experiences in the recent past of calling out some unsavory behavior, like really calling it out face-to-face to the person doing it, and the level of fucking tantrum and kerfuffle and ego and self-pity self-pity has been wild it's been such a interesting practice to watch the reaction of people being confronted with their own behavior and it just really exemplified to me in society like why how we've been conditioned to not call out bad behavior from a certain demographic of human beings. Let's just say that. And I think that that exists probably in a really big way in 12-step communities also, just because I think any group of people that have been in a group for a long time in a certain structure, any group of people that are around each other, there's going to be certain happenings they're probably all very similar like whether it's a a college or a church or a group of people in AA or a soccer team or I don't know soccer team might not be right but you know what I mean like just all these different human conditions are happening and I mean I don't want to you know bash the patriarchy too much here but I feel like that's what it is it's like anytime you kind of call that out or sort of, you know, try to peck at it a little bit or the, you know, the 13th stepping and all that stuff. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff that exists in 12 step culture that's pretty harmful. And it's, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. 
And I don't know just about predatory behavior because I also, you know, I facilitate meetings through my work that are recovery meetings are not 12 step based, but just like how insidious predatory behavior is and how it probably also exists in every, well, we know, I mean, we watch documentaries about it all the time, about how it just exists in every ecosystem or every system of people. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, we have that too. We have every, everything, every abuse of power, every, all of that stuff. And I just, I'm going to say it again. I just hate, being in a position where I feel like I have to defend it all the time because it gets it gets bashed so often. But at, at the same time, I'm not saying that those people don't have a complaint or that they don't have a concern or that whatever they're upset about, I'm not saying it didn't happen. So yeah, it's a wild, it's a wild place. I think the cool kid thing, it makes me cringe. It makes me want to peel my own skin off. Yeah, it, to hear an adult say, that's the meeting where the cool kids go. Or yeah, not invited cool to kids. the cool kid thing. Oh, or the yeah. click. The click. Right. Yeah. Clickish. That's what they say mostly. Clickish. That meeting's clickish. Huh. I mean, God bless. God bless them. I don't know what to really... I mean, I like, I love the way that you're framing it of just like, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they've had these feelings and they've had these thoughts and they've listened to them and let those thoughts or feelings dictate their behavior or their belief system, I hope that they'll reconsider. I mean, I hope that hearing, you know, hearing you say that or hearing us talk about it can shed some new light on it. Just like shine a light on it. You see me in person and you want to talk more. To me about it, I am happy to do that with you. Oh. Because this is a belief that can kill people. Yeah, that's true. So I think it's important to address. Mm-hmm. And it can walk you right out the door. Yeah. I've always thought that people just were scared of me because I just had a mean look on my face. Like, I mean, I have that a lot, too. I'm just staring at the ground. I'm just, th- I'm thinking about... Trying not to fart. (laughs) What kind of look would you have on your face if you're trying not to fart all the time? I mean, yeah, it's so, it's just so wild to hear that about yourself and just be like, oh my God, I look like, I look like I'm mean or I come across as like, like not personable or whatever. Like I think of myself as... Well, here's the thing. So, and Danny teases me about this because one time I said in a meeting, I was talking about how um, alcoholics used to have to go, you know, like on purpose, find other alcoholics to try to help, like go to hospitals and like talk to somebody from their hospital bed about, you know, this new protocol or whatever. I said, I would have never done that. I'm just not that friendly. And that may be true. I might not be like super overtly friendly, but I do believe that I'm nice. And I think they're two different things. Because then, like, the next week, Danny said something like, oh, just last week you said you weren't nice. And I said, no. I said I wasn't friendly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do now, I'm starting to feel like I'm much more friendly than I have been in my life in the past. I don't know why. But I do feel... Comfort. More comfortable being friendly. Comfort. I think comfort. Comfort in your own skin makes you... Yeah. I mean, but I also, like... I'm a pretty shy person. And I don't have to defend that. I don't think it's a no, character right, defense. Yeah. Right? Like, I think it's okay to be shy and to be reserved and to, like, you know, not be, like, gregarious and super, you know, like, handshaky and learning everybody's name immediately. Like, it's fine to not be that way. I'm not going to – I don't feel like I need to defend being shy. I think being shy is a sweetness that – Sure. I think people are often shamed for. But I'm just, you know, I I am generally always very kind to people. I might not say hi to you. I might not. I'm not going to apologize for it. But if you say hi to me or if you come sit by me, I, we will likely have a conversation. Right. Yeah. Also, I, the fun bunny had terrible vision and refused to wear glasses. And so he would see people or people would see him and wave to him and he wouldn't wave back like across the street, across Broadway or something. Cause he didn't know who it was. He couldn't see him. 
And so everybody just thought that he was a dick because he wouldn't say hi or whatever. And so I swear that stuck with me my whole life. Well, since I was 21 or whatever, like sometimes people can't hear very well. Sometimes they can't see very well. Maybe they, you know, and now that my eyesight is failing, now that my eyes are dying, if I don't have my glasses on, like sometimes I can't really see who is talking across the room or something. So I try to make up a story that lets people off the hook sometimes of, I can't see, I don't, I don't know, I'm not sure who that is. I'm sure there's a lot of people walking around in the world with... Yeah, let's just give all everybody a bit of grace. Yeah. Give everyone a bit of grace. Like, is it possible that you're not excluded, that you just feel excluded because that's, that's the way you came in? So possible. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. Like, if one person in a group of people says a certain type of thing to you or doesn't say something, you know, kind to you or whatever, don't disqualify the entire group of people, let alone the entire movement of all of 12-step. Like, even, you know, even let's just say you don't want to go back to that meeting because ding dong was rude to you when you walked in the door or whatever fine there's 50 billion other meetings to go to where you're going to walk in the door and you're going to feel welcome and someone's going to say something kind to you but having this conversation again and I know I've talked about this on the podcast and I've talked about this millions of times in my life of just like realizing how important it is and how far just a kind word not even a kind word how far a hello to someone can actually go to someone walking in the meeting and just being greeted (laughs) is really enough. Yeah. That's why we have greeters. Yeah, exactly. Hi, it's important. Yes. Glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. I'm going to recommit. Well, and here's the thing that happens to me. I want to be friendlier. But what happens is, right when the meeting ends, I start talking to someone that I know, and we're having a conversation, blah, 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 catching up or whatever. We've been sitting next to each other the whole meeting and haven't talked. And then pretty soon, they're turning the lights off and everybody's leaving. And I'm like, oh, shit, I just stood here talking to someone that I already know the whole time. And then I didn't. It's like you have to, like, make a fast break and go say hi to a bunch of strangers. Yeah. And, you know, Seattle's funny in that way, too. I think sometimes when I go up and say hi to a stranger, they look at me like I'm insane. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it really, I feel like I scare the new people. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever feel like that or no? I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. But I I don't walk in there. Yeah, you have that hitchhiker where it's like, I'm not invited. They don't like me. So maybe that's the one that's speaking for you there. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, it's wild. This whole thing is wild. This whole life and existing and like trying to fucking untangle all these thoughts and emotions and experiences and people and fucking hairdos and glasses and freaking wedding, wedding dresses and, you know. Where to eat dinner. I mean, this whole thing is just, a, <laughs> just such a, a wild. It's yeah. just a lot. There's is a lot the dog, of parts. Yeah, is the dog okay? Like, who's doing what? Just, just, It's just wild. I mean, if you think of it like a video game, it's nuts. It's totally, totally wild. It's really interesting, though. I mean, I appreciate you bringing this up, and I hope that it's helpful for someone to hear... In, in any capacity, you know, even if it's not 12-step specific, even if someone is going through this at work or at school or yeah, in life anywhere. or feeling, having yeah. social anxiety. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't have social anxiety at this point? If you didn't have it before the pandemic, you, you got sure it now. have it now. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. It's like all the introverts are thriving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, well that's I guess my topic we'll s- for the day. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. And I think we've been at this long enough and we've done enough case studies. I've known enough people to kind of to speak on it. I feel like I've seen it from a lot of different angles and um, experienced it from a lot of different angles. Yeah. Same. Maybe, maybe now I just felt I just keep feeling like maybe as I'm getting older and now that I'm old, that maybe all people will just think I'm nice. Like I'll just be 
just like a normal, nice person that people won't be afraid of. But yeah. I don't I mean, think that's, that's the goal, right? Like, I don't think that's happening. Well, it might. We, you know, we still got some time left. <laughs> <laughs> By the some end time. of the cycle, we How will much be nice. Time? By the time I'm 90 years old, people are going to think I'm nice yeah. and they won't be afraid of they me. won't be intimidated by you. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Oh, we got to have Miha on as a guest. I'll grill him about mm-hmm. I'll grill him about it. He's the reason that this podcast exists. So we have to have him on as yeah, a guest. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course. yeah. Of course. So we're Plus coming he's a for fascinating you. Fascinating person. So. Oh my gosh, the best. He's just the smartest, kindest yeah. person in the world. So yeah. we're coming for you, Miha. You're on notice. <laughs> You've been warned. <laughs> Guess what? We get to go meet each other in a new kitchen. The new kitchen. The new I think kitchen. I'm eat some of your homemade granola. I don't oh, know if yeah. you've noticed, but it's I've been really eating good. it every night. That's part at of bedtime. the be- bed snacks. Well, it's pre-bed snack. Okay, do you want, here's the jam, though. Take the chia pudding, mm-hmm. scoop of that, granola, raspberries. Oh, the raspberries. That's well, what the, I've been doing is I've been doing like a half a cup of the granola, some oat milk, and then I cut up a whole banana and oh, put that in there. Oh, that's nice, which... too. And you could try the hazelnut milk that I made today, too. It's like we're going full. I'm going full, full hippie. Full, full hippie, on full natural granola. hippie. Yep. Yeah, full, full on, on granola. Granola hippie. Make your own milk. Make your own hazelnut milk. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I mean, I love it because I benefit from it. I get to eat all the stuff. <laughs> so I'm all for it. I don't have to freaking yeah. figure out what I'm eating for dinner. Except right? for I did go to taco time. Of yeah, course. I'm going to eat the rest of my taco time. I would yeah. like one taco time, please. Can I have one taco time, <laughs> please? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'll see, see you in, you in the kitchen. See you in the kitchen. Bye. Bye.